0: All right, as Jesse mentioned, we have been in this parable, this metaphor, for now a third week, and that's because there is just, I mean, Jesus puts really, I mean, he sometimes gives like two-sentence parables, which are really dense, and so since this one is 21 verses, it's uh, all the more, just there's layer upon layer upon layer in this, and so two weeks ago... uh, uh, I and a small group of non-race fans gathered together to talk about um, hearing from God and uh, what it, how God speaks to us and what that is is like uh, and how do we grow in that. And then last week we talked about uh trusting the voice of god and following it which is a big part of this passage just to bring these out let's jump in the text real quick and and just a review here uh catch those things up Uh, verse one truly truly i say to you he does not enter the uh, sheepfold by the door that climbs in another way that man is a thief and a robber but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and he's brought them out all his own He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The figure of speech Jesus used to them, though they did not understand what he was saying to them. I love also, by the way, that John, just at the end of that, you know, like breaks into the middle of the passage, just be like, by the way, they were not tracking, not at all. They did not know what was going on. but actually, it, this is interesting, I've learned this too in the study of John, every time you have a, so Jesus again said to them, often what that's denoting is that there's been some passage of time. A lot of times it's the next day or another day that they're all of a sudden queuing into it, uh, or they might just be, you know, they thought about it for a while, they were discussing it, Jesus could tell it's not landing, and so then he comes and he tries to re-clarify with a second go of it. But in this first section, you already saw the idea of knowing the voice, and, and a lot of us get freaked out because we're like, do I know the voice of God? Can I hear the voice of God? Am I able, is this the voice of God? Is this the voice of my own will? Is this the voice of the world? Is this the voice of... And we get to a point where we overthink the idea of like, how do I learn the voice of God? And, and this parable is talking about in shepherding, the sheep would come to so know the voice of the shepherd that even when they would go to sheep pens and intermix with other flocks, or they'd go to an inn and they'd put them in the corporate sheep pen with like six, seven, eight, nine, ten other flocks, The shepherd comes in, utters a syllable, and all his sheep stand, and they rise, and the other ones stay. So it's saying, like, my sheep know my voice. They're not going to follow someone else. And then in the next section, verse 7, let's go 7 to 10. So Jesus again said to them, "'Truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door.' If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You mentioned last week that it's one thing that we don't often get about shepherding is this concept of what the door is, because I usually think of it, like, or have thought of it historically, is like, yes, he's the doorway into the love and the kingdom of God, but you have to remember Jesus is making a specific shepherding metaphor, and so it means something specific to shepherds. And we talked about that last week, a sheep pen would be walls five, six, seven feet high so that predators could not climb over them But there would be no actual gate or doorway, there would just be an opening that was about the length of a person because the shepherd overnight would sleep in the doorway, and he would become the door. No animal passes over him because they know not to mess with shepherds after some experience with them. No sheep passes over them to get out because their shepherd is sitting at the door. And this concept that he says, like, hey, if you go in and out, if you wait for me and you don't You know, you can't climb over the walls, but you don't, like, let someone take you over the walls, and you go, and you'll find green pasture, and you will find life to the full, and last week was really just defining what it was to have life to the full, which we defined as, it's life without lack, like, you lack nothing, ever. You're not behind. You're not somewhere where you shouldn't be when you're following Jesus. You're not, even though everything around you feels like it's falling apart, you have no lack. You have no fear. We gave that quote last week of Dallas Willard saying, there's absolutely nothing to fear. I say again, nothing. You have nothing ever to be afraid. And we have beef with this idea because we're like, man, that's just not how the world works. And we rephrased, or I, re- I put a, together a paraphrasal of the 23rd Psalm, That's just partially Willard's and partially my own, Dallas Willard again where a life abundantly is like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm under the care of another. I'm not in charge of my life. Gosh, that's the good news. I've laid down my kingdom and began to seek the kingdom of Jesus. I'm living the God with life. Therefore, I will lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's leading me to life life to the full. There's nothing I need to fear. There's nothing that will make me say I lack something. You will grow me. You provide a life in which I will become as fearless, as wise, as selfless, as full of peace and life as you are. When people see my rich soul, they will say, this is what God must be like. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't matter how confused I am or where we are going. I will remember all the ways you have proven I can trust you and I won't fear anything, because you're with me. You come close to me so I can feel your nearness. Though my enemies are all around me, you provide me a feast. My cup, my provision is bottomless. Surely, no matter what happens, no matter how I run, no matter how I fail, no matter how unprepared I feel, no matter how the sin or brokenness of the world will come and pass over my life, over my community, I will find it impossible to get away from your goodness, your provision your protection. It will hunt me down and capture me. And I will forever dwell in the provision and presence of the all-powerful creator and king of everything. I yearn for that. I have spent most of my life trying to achieve it on my own, still do. Again, I mentioned one of our fears is just like, that's just not, just not realistic. Like, I've seen other Christians, nobody really seems like they're getting to this point. No one really seems like they're experiencing total peace and no fear. Like, everyone, even the believers I know, even the strong believers I know, seem to be really freaked out most of the time. I would challenge us to say, as G.K. Chesterton said and I quoted last week, following Jesus has not been tried and found wanting it has been found difficult and therefore untried. That many of us, even if we're honest, yes, it's a daily fight to have to follow Jesus. It's a daily fight to have to trust Him more than I trust myself. And most, not most, all of that which I experience is one of two things. The brokenness of the world that has entered through sin or me trying to do it on my own and trust me, myself more than following the shepherd. Another thing that we freak out is like, what if, as I already mentioned, what if we don't hear him correctly? What if I don't follow correctly? What if I mess this up? If there's, as I said like last week about myself, I live with the low-grade sense of believing if there's a way to mess it up, eventually I will mess it up. Give me enough time, and I can't keep it together for that long. But it's, remember the metaphor. The metaphor is sheep following a shepherd. The metaphor is not, you are a group of special agents and you have deciphered the codes to find a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence and developed a special set of skills to figure out what's going on and to fight through all of the obstacles. But rather, the metaphor he's using is, you're a bunch of sheep who are really dumb And all sheep do is they just wait for the shepherd and move with the shepherd. The shepherd trains them to hear his voice, trains him to understand which voice is him, trains them to understand when they hear that voice, safety and goodness are wherever that voice is going. They're pursued by the shepherd. Sheep don't decide to be a part of a flock. The shepherd comes and gets them and keeps them in it. And all of that, we needed to rehash because last week's teaching and this week's teaching were actually meant to be one teaching, but then I like was sitting there and we even got to when we were teaching in here, and was like, this is no way to be able to fit. And so all of a sudden, it's become a part two. And so part one was essential to get to focus on part two. And part two is this. The reality we need to discuss that's left in this passage is that there is another voice. In fact, one of the most dominant parts of this idea that Jesus is going to lay out is that there's another voice, but my sheep don't listen to that voice. Hey, there's another—anyone who doesn't come through the door but climbs through the sheepfold is a thief and a robber. Hey, there's a—I've come so that you might have life and have it to the full, but there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen to the text how it's constantly saying, hey, this, this thief is not nabbing sheep, but rather the sheep are listening to him. It's, it's not abducting sheep, but rather the sheep know not to follow, or the implication is, if they do follow, it is the sheep who are following. See, this is the interesting thing about the metaphor. The thief cannot pick up a sheep and just run with it. If you just think about what that would be like, again, overnight, walls around it, only humans who are up to no good can climb over, animals cannot, and the sheep, or the shepherd is lying in the door and always like having a half ear to what's going on even in sleep. And so if a thief comes and just grabs a sheep, the sheep makes a noise, the shepherd tracks him down because he does have a special set of skills to take. Is taken sheep, and there's no ability for a thief, and the thief knows, I can't just grab a sheep. So how do you get them to choose it? You entice them. You come in, and you have a food in your hand. You speak gently. You talk about all of the green pastures and all of the things which you can lead them to. You lie to them. In John eight forty four, we already read it and went through it. It says, hey, when the liar comes, he's speaking his native tongue. He just lies. The thief has no power in this world except that which comes through you and I. This is in Colossians uh, chapter 1, which I have there on a slide if Ethan got it, but, you know, Ethan, don't even worry about it because I actually got the wrong slide. Don't go to Colossians 1, 9 through 14, but turn, will if you will, with me. Colossians is like four or five books over toward the end of the book, the end of the Bible. Uh, and, you know, I still use, like, the really corny nursery or uh, Sunday school stuff, like… Uh, Go eat peaches and cream, which is Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, or G.E. Power Company, also a good one. Colossians, the cream or the company of the mnemonic device. Chapter 2, and let's go, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Already, we're talking about not that they can just steal you. They're not taking you captive by knocking you out and carrying you off. How are they taking you captive? By telling you some philosophy that sounds pretty good. Let no one take you captive that way. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, so that you were also raised with him through the faith and power working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against it with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, get this. What else did he do on the cross? He set aside our sin. He nailed it there in its legal demands, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. After the cross, Jesus is going to get up and say, hey, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do all that you have observed and I've commanded. Why? Because I have all authority on heaven and on earth. Everything seen, everything unseen. There is no thing that is left out of my authority. In other words, the thief has no authority, has no capacity to get you to do anything by affecting your will. So how does he get you or us? Why is there still an effective evil in the world? Why do we still talk about, man, the demonic? Because we are the portal. The only thing, the only way that the thief can have any power is that he convinces you and I to do that will. Think about Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent comes, he doesn't show up like a big dragon serpent and, like, scare or intimidate Eve and Adam. He doesn't try to tackle or fight or come at them with a weapon. He lies to them. He says, hey, did God really say That you can't eat from this tree, and Eve answers him in a way says, "No, we don't. God said not eat from the tree, and he said no." He's holding back from you because if he knows you eat it, you will know good and evil. Here's the reality: if they eat it, they will know good and evil. It's a truth. Everything that he says, everything that he says, every lie that's actually plausible, is somewhat true. Absurd lies don't stick. Things that are mostly true But their context makes them slightly deceptive Are extremely powerful And so What the thief is going to do Is he's going to affect two things Which affect your trust Which are this Your desires and your vision. Your vision of like what do you see is good what do you think is right where do you think you can find life where do you think you will find death where do you try to go and where do you where do you go to avoid and that was if you get in genesis 3 all of it that he starts out with the thief or the serpent is trying to cloud the vision did god really say well you know that he's holding back it's the sense of trying to mess with someone's vision because if you mess with their vision then you can affect them To do their will Because then you play on, as I said Play on good desires It's good to have a relationship, right? It's good to find He who finds a husband, a wife Finds a good thing And so wouldn't it just be good If you just married this guy? Don't think about Regardless if your vision says I there's something unwise about this There's something that is not best My vision I can actually see that but My will doesn't want to do it My desire is not there or My desire is there to do what is good but I have just gotten so mixed up as to know what is actually good and what is not. And so that is the point that the thief is going to continually make. He's going to get you to believe lies, and interestingly enough, in Genesis uh, 3, which I also have up here, oh, not the actual text, so that's fine. I have it in my notes, and I'm going to read it to you. If you want to flip there, you can. When the serpent shows up and says, hey, does God truly say that? Does God know, or is God holding out on you? It says this, that verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was three things, good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Interestingly enough, the writer of John makes his own version of these three things in his epistle first john first john chapter 2 verse 14 it says this i write to you young men because you are strong and the word of god abides in you you have clear vision and you have overcome the evil one you're not listening to lies do not love the world or the things in this world if anyone loves the world the father uh, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The last place, not the last place, but at least another prominent place where you're going to see these three things are the temptations of Jesus. Jesus goes out in the wilderness, the liar comes, and he first says, If you're hungry, turn these stones into bread, the desire of the flesh. And then he says, hey, you can jump down from this peak and your angels will come and show that you are truly the Son of God in everyone's eyes or the desire of the eyes. Or you can have power over everything. Because at this point, he still does have all authority. Satan, that is. You can have power over everything. The pride of life or the desire of wisdom. Wisdom. What these could be otherwise phrased as is this, flush, the temptation to be fulfilled, to be comfortable, to be completely content, to be stress-free, to be joyful, to be without lack, to have your provision be bottomless. Or the desire of the eyes, to be loved, to be admired, to be respected to be honored to be desired or the temptation of to make one wise the pride of life to be in control to have it all together and figured out to not be vulnerable in any way cuz you've thought of everything you've got a plan to be safe and secure And completely unbothered and unhurried. All of which are good things. All of which are actually things that in Psalm 23, God says, I desire to give you a life of these things. But the reality is is that you and I more frequently believe the lie. God cannot be trusted. Look at the pain and the brokenness of the world. Look at the suffering you've experienced. Look at the suffering your family has experienced. Look at this diagnosis that this person received. Look at all of the things which go wrong, and how can you trust God to actually care for you? You're living in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't seem to be that you are always protected from it. I'm left on my own. I have to figure it out. I can't let my guard down and forgive this person because if I forgive them, like, that is what like, is keeping me safe from being hurt again. I need my bitterness. It is, it feels good. I can't serve others because if I do, they'll demand everything from me. They'll walk all over me. I need to look out for myself. If I'm generous beyond if I'm just constantly giving and giving and giving my time and my resources, I will be drained of them. In fact, I need to store up and even take from other people if I have the opportunity to, or if someone just, you know, I some situation happens and they just don't, you know, take from me, or like somebody just leaves something, and I don't know who this is. I need to gather as much as I can, yet I never feel like I fully have enough. I always feel like I need a bit more. Or the life without lack should be without suffering. That's maybe one of the biggest ones that we believe. Suffering and the life without lack, the life without fear, are incompatible. I know better. It is up to me. Here's what demonic possession is. Demonic possession is being told these things so often and becoming to believe that this reality is true. I'm alone. I keep up for myself. Anything that is going to be done right needs to be done through me. God is not out for my best. I need to go towards this thing that is in front of me to relieve my pain no matter what it costs you get so saturated with those things that you begin to breathe out those lies. I need to be bitter. I need to take what I can take. I need to hold my life together against everybody else. People who just get to the point where we have the really spectacular possession, possession and all the things we think have just been in that world so long that their delusion has become so great. That they can't They're disconnected from reality. Possession, though, is much more common than just random instances. I am tempted to be possessed by this on a daily basis. And so, We breathe out these lies, we become the portal, we make systems in this world that are based off of you gotta do things and you gotta look out for number one and then all of a sudden the systems in the world start in themselves being what breaks down trust and breaks down relationship. Real quick, let me just deal with two main lies that you and I believe, of which the thief uses. Again, let's go back to this metaphor. No one can make you do this. No one can make you not trust God. The thief can only try to entice you with something and say, don't look beyond me, but just look at this thing in my hand and come to me and slowly crawl into my arms. Two major lies. actually two out of this passage. There's more, but these are two ones that I see in the passage and I think Jesus is intending. One, he talks about, hey, if you stay in the walls and then you go through me, the door, and you will find life and you will find freedom, you will find green pasture. But the reality is there are walls. There is definition to freedom, which is so counterintuitive to us because we think of freedom as the my ability to do whatever I want to do. But you know that's not true when you think about things like music. Just throw notes and rhythm everywhere. No, that's not true. In fact, there's a theory to it. In fact, there's a key and there's a tempo and there are notes that blend and notes that even intentionally don't blend, but they create some powerful chord is there. They have have chords, they have progressions, they have augmentations. They have diminished notes. Music has structure. Every song you have ever listened to is pretty much this, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. That is it. You love it, I love it. Unless you listen to something symphonic in which it is theme, inversion of theme, playing with theme, coming back to original theme, new theme, done, more or less. Caleb would probably say, not quite, but regardless. It is within the realm. You get it when you understand laws. There is not any of us who wants to live in a place where there is complete lawlessness. Nobody wants to live in the Congo where might is right. And you constantly live in a place like, we might, we might disagree what, lies, uh, what laws will bring life, But nobody wants to be without them completely. In fact, the reason that we debate so passionately about them is because we know we need them. And we want the the laws that we believe will actually give us the structure to find life and freedom. Or if I want to buy whatever I want, that's great. But if I want to plan out what I want and think about how I use my spending, if I want to eat whatever I want, whenever I want it, wonderful. But I'm going to feel terrible later. If I'm a fish, I can make my home outside the water, but I give up the freedom to be able to breathe. But here's the reality that we're going to do to blend this lie with the second lie. There is a degree of suffering to give up what you desire. That actually is a level of suffering. You have to suffer to say, I am going to not trust myself because that is going to give you a level of psychological maybe physical like you're withholding something physically from you maybe your entire life you will miss out on something that you truly want and you will yearn for a really simple example of this which i borrow from the late great tim keller but i'm also now experiencing it directly with myself is i'm teaching my oldest two sons piano it's going marginal at best, but we are working and we're getting there, and I said to them in the very first lesson, and I say to them routinely in every lesson, this will not always be easy, this will not always be fun, this will be worth it. And just last week, Sunday comes, Sunday afternoons, we do the piano lesson, and they say, we don't want to do piano." because it's a sunny day and their friends are all outside and everybody is playing and it is a good time and they have to deny something, they have to give up something that would be good, which is playing outside on a really good day. And I said to them, no, we're doing piano. And they said, piano's not fun. I said, it is not always fun. It is not always easy. It is worth it. Because you will be able to sit down and play a song one day. You might even be able to write one. You can sit around and Press girls at college. (laughs) But there is a level of suffering that you have to give something up in order to receive a greater joy. This is the concept of death to self, which is going to come up all the time, all the time, not by the thief, but by the shepherd. Do you want to grasp onto your life? You will surely lose it. Do you want to find life? Lay it down. Pick up your cross, an instrument of death and torture. That doesn't seem like it's life to the full. No, it doesn't. Trust my voice. It seems like not picking up the cross would bring me life to the full. Yes, it does. Don't go with that one. Don't crawl into those arms. But it's really, objectively, this looks better than that. Absolutely. I need you to go through the valley of the shadow of death because it is the way to life. Because the other main lie that we just... Can't really struggle with is the idea that, yes, suffering and the life without lack, the life to the full, are completely incompatible. last week we talked about that in order to actually find life, you have to risk trusting the shepherd, which means that you have to get to the point where you say, I give up on trying to figure out what is right, what is best. I give up trying to like say, no, you need to explain everything to me, and I need to be able to understand it before I can follow you, because I am going to choose to believe that this thing that looks shiny, but if I think about it long enough, I can see it leads to death. And so I am going to go towards this thing that looks like my own death, but I'm Listening to the shepherd who said, trust me, this is going to work. You can trust me because I am the good shepherd. I will not let anything happen to you ultimately, in an ultimate sense. Because everybody else, when the wolf comes, runs away. If I have to, if it comes to it, I will put myself... In front of you and the wolf And I will take it There's no way you die in this situation Because a reality that we talked about a couple weeks ago When it comes to suffering Which I'm trying to beat into my brain With everything that I have Is that when I'm suffering Or when I'm experiencing some level of of Something not working out Or depression or, Or constant stress Or whatever it is I am so stuck in a place of that this... A, that I'm uniquely experiencing suffering, that other people have, like, figured this out. Um, And other people have, like, you know, their lives are so much better from the outside. And I know they have problems, but their problems aren't, like, my problems. My problems are real problems. And... But the reality is, is that suffering is the normal way to maturity. It is not the exception to get really spiritual people towards maturity, it is the way. You don't grow mature if you want to avoid suffering at all costs. Also, you will not avoid all suffering at all costs. You can numb it. You cannot avoid it. By the way, the numbing also has diminishing returns and eventually won't work anymore. And then you have to choose, am I going to go through suffering or not? Or am I going to experience it or not? Everyone experiences it. And ultimately, it's not without hope. Romans 5, you going to say, hey, we rejoice in trials and sufferings of various kinds. Why in the world would you do that? Because we know that suffering and trials is going to build up endurance. It's going to build up my ability to trust God, even when it seems like we're going somewhere that I don't want to go. That's endurance, by the way, the willingness to suffer. It's going to build up endurance, and that endurance is going to build up character, character that's going to say, no, that is not good. This is good. That is not life to the full. This is life to the full. That is contributing to the world of death. This is me now following Jesus and bringing life. It's going to build up endurance. It's going to build up character, and it's going to build up hope or my capacity to live with certainty of a coming reality. It builds trust, which allows me to believe I can die to self, which allows me to become someone who is full of love and peace and patience and kindness. And goodness, and faithfulness, or the ability to trust, and gentleness, self-control, that looks good, but I'm not going to go toward it. This doesn't look as good, but I've been proven wrong than Jesus right before. Not only that, but when you're in the midst of suffering, the idea is that Jesus is not waiting for you to get to the other side so you can experience him, but that this is the way that you experience him. Interesting, interesting passage in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, which is going to have a lot of the similar notes that we've been talking about in this one. Uh, Do I have that one? You you might want to turn to it because it's pretty good. Um, Or listen to it and have it read over you. Sometimes that's better. 1 Peter 3 through 12, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept uh, in heaven for you. Surely I will live in the valley and the the goodness of the house of the Lord and provision and protection all the days of my life. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, that endurance and that character and that hope that are more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested, through you, uh, though, or though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy in the inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were saying not them uh, that uh, to them that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, though you those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things in which angels long to look. That phrase, "things which angels long to look," has always fascinated me. What do angels long to look into? The rest of the passage is about, hey, there's goodness coming, but you're going to experience some suffering and trials now. The prophets were pointing to what? To the moment where Christ would suffer and then be glorified. It's about this relationship between suffering and joy. Here's the reality. Angels don't suffer. They have never been outside the presence of God. They have never experienced suffering. And they feel like they're missing out. They long to look into these things. Why? Because they look at Jesus who suffered for the joy that was set before him, for the glory that would come and be his. The reason you and I suffer is because he suffered first and because he wants to bring you into all the joy and the life to the full, a life without lacking anything and without fearing anything. And he says, do you want that? The pathway is suffering. How can I trust you? Because I'll do it first. And I will show you the joy and the glory on the other side. Why are you suffering? Because I won't allow you to miss out. Last quick story. Um, My wife, Sharon, regularly takes days where she just tries to go out and pray and read read scriptures and just take like a day um, with God and with the Spirit. And... Uh, I try to give her these days by taking the kids and giving her like a Saturday or, or you know, take a Thursday off or something like that and take, give one of these days to her. And one of the most recent ones, I think I may have said this before. I think I may have said this a, few, a month or so ago. One of the most recent ones, she was in Highland Park and she was journaling. And she was praying as she journaled. And she begins to write things and then hear an inaudible voice of the Spirit, communing with her. We talked about how to do that two weeks ago. Not how to do that, but how that grows in a person. And the voice said this, Kent's depression cycles are my gift to you. And she said, you can look in my journal. If I'm lying, I'm frying. I begin to write, no, they're not, Lord. And she hears, they're my gift to you. And she writes back, I don't want it. And she hears, they're my gift. And she finally writes, OK. And then she told me the story, and I was like, I don't want it. I, uh, I also, um, you, why did you give up? Um, <laughs> But the reality is we suffer because God won't let us miss out. And so we rejoice in sufferings and trials of various kinds because we know that because of them we won't miss out on endurance. We won't miss out on character, on being able to trust God and believe with hope that a future reality will come to pass. And it comes through this. We reflect on that in communion. Communion is the act of reminding that Jesus suffered, and he suffered first to say, no, this is the way. The whole idea of like, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. Is because he's going to say, I'm going to do that and show you that this is actually life to the full and going to lead to all the joy you want. And so we come and we take of the bread, tear it and dip in the cup, and it's the body of Christ broken for you. To take away your sin, yes, and to show you that this is the way to life. And the cup is the blood of Christ shed for you to cleanse you and to show you that to lay down your life is how you find it. And so uh, you may come, During the next song at any point to the stations here gluten-free is in the center come down these center aisles or turn down the side let us pray father god let us learn to trust lord let us risk to trust lord let us grow in hearing your voice Grow in following your voice. And grow in rejecting the other voices. And that is simply ours as we just follow. Lord, you have said that anyone who wants this, Lord, they are not far from you. They are not ones who, oh, you'll want it and you'll never get it. If we want it, it will come. Because it takes a great amount of trust and faith merely to want it and you work with that so Lord allow us to want it more than we want to save our own souls or save our own lives I should say and save our own flesh and give them up so you can give them back with life to the full and glory that we can't even battle but angels can and they're jealous of us I pray that in Jesus name Amen.